0: Hi, I'm Rochella in North Carolina.
1: I'm Nate in Colorado. And James in London. And we are Friends in Formation, a podcast where three very different people take your questions about life and faith. And the goal is to listen and learn to help each other go further with God. Friends in Formation, produced by Renavare a Christian renewal effort that offers resources and experience to help people become more like Jesus. And we'd love you to join us in the conversation. So please email us your questions to friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot org. Great to see you. And if we pick your question, we will send you a Friends Information coffee mug and that's just a really the idea that you are joining us in this discussion, which we're glad to have. So please get in touch. We appreciate you so much. And we're really challenged and we find the things you ask us so interesting. We do a study and consider everything people ask us. And we always are trying to work out what's the best ones we should be you know, aiming at. One of them, which I'm going to begin with, is a question from John, who says, I write as a 22-year-old son of God-fearing parents. To put it as concisely as I can, I barely know a life outside of church and a personal relationship with Jesus. All through high school and college, I gave a, a lot of my time to serving but now that my faith is slipping away, I feel like I'm not only a square peg in a round hole at church, but have lost a sense of purpose. also feel like a square peg in a round hole in the wider world. So to lose faith is alienating in both church and beyond. What advice have you for someone who grew up in the church and is now losing faith? When I'm in a circle praying at Bible study, I ask myself, what am I even doing here? I want my conviction-driven life back, but I don't know how. It's just so hard. Well, I want to hear what my friends have got to say on this, but uh, rather than you know chucking it over to them, let me just open with a comment or two. I think we need to talk a little bit about faith as well as doubt. I think the two need to go together, and there's a lot we could talk about. Um, People have often been sold the idea that in order to commit to something, you have to be absolutely certain. That's where I want to start. This idea that you must be absolutely convinced by everything in it, before you commit and that can't be the right thing certainty is not something you can choose you can't be certain about anything you're not mm-hmm. certain about <laughs> you know this <laughs> idea that i can just will myself into it i can grit my teeth clench my fists um And I think we need to just explore that, really. We shouldn't set up a dogfight between faith and doubt. If we do that, we fabricate this sort of idea that faith is this absolute. We have to protect it. Whereas actually, I think if, well, I put it in this way, if we were a bit more honest about our doubt the world around us might be a little bit more honest about its faith
0: Ooh, James. because
1: i think i think <laughs> christians can sometimes feel we have to protect god mm-hmm. because he couldn't handle it you know he's something like an individual who's precious and delicate and frail and we have to prop him up by not admitting to doubt but I think if we were more honest about that, I think the world outside actually a lot of you know, atheists pray, and there's some evidence in surveys that I've seen on this side of the Atlantic that a younger generation pray more than an older you know, generation do. I'm talking, you know, generally now in society. Well, I thought they were the, the younger generation, the ones that don't go to church as much, or don't sign up to being a believer in surveys. So what's going on here? I think we need to be more honest about our doubt, and I think our culture might be more honest about its faith, and then I think we can have a conversation. I really like that, James. I like that a
2: lot, actually. And the idea of atheists praying, I mean, I totally can see it, because it is a movement of desperation. and. And we all get desperate at times. I'm really encouraged by this question. And I actually think it's quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. One, your honesty about it and your bravery to share that. But behind the question is that you care. There's this sense of, I-, I want this. I want to get back to where things were and I'm you know losing it. So one, you're being honest, which I think is, is uh, fantastic. I want to present an idea to just, and I don't know that this would fit for you at all, but I just want to throw it out there, the possibility that this may be a leading from God, that God may be taking you deeper, which would be a very, very good thing. And so piggyback off of you, James, is this idea that one, God can't handle it. And uh, I would encourage you to dig deeper uh, into prayer uh, with this kind of honesty. The picture I have is a kind of wrestling with angels. Don't rest until there's clarity and keep digging. The other piece I'd mention is you said you wanna get back to your conviction-driven life and that may happen. That may just be wonderful. I would love to see you fall in love.
0: Oh, Nathan, I love that image of transitioning from um, a conviction-driven life to the invitation to fall in love. That, that's a beautiful picture. The problem that many of us face is that conviction-driven feels so sure and certain. In a world where so many things are uncertain, and we're, we're dealing with so much more than just our own little sphere of influence. Every day in the news, we're brought face-to-face with the fact that there's so much broiling in our world. And conviction seems safe, but I think love offers more depth. And you're right, James, we do tend to treat God as if he were very fragile. You know, we we need to protect his reputation. We need to make sure no one is ever putting him to the test. But actually, God is very much up to any test. And for us to acknowledge that we have doubts seems to me to be a really good stepping stone toward deeper faith. I mean... Faith itself is not the same as certainty. And for us to treat it as the same, I think maybe robs the idea of faith of some of its meaning. I turn to, I mean, as I'm sure many people when asked about faith, they would turn to Hebrews 11, you know, that, that the roll call of the faithful. That's how we learned it in Sunday school, right? And Hebrews eleven starts with um, verse one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's that word conviction again, right? But I think sometimes we we focus on assurance and conviction, and we leave out the part of hoped for and not seen. I mean, w- what we're doing is believing in something that we can't see. It's easy for us. Particularly in the West, to get caught up in whether something can be proven, whether it, it you know, can we, can we subject this to uh, scientific inquiry? And actually, what we're talking about is, is a movement of the heart of believing, clinging to something actually that we can't prove. Hoping for something that we can't yet see—that's the the greatness of faith. There's, there can be so much depth there, but only if we're willing to let go of the notion that we can see everything clearly. We can't.
2: Kind of by its definition, right. faith—you know—it's a stepping out. I'm in a in a sense more interested in what you do believe in, and mm-hmm. and are there enough pieces that you can? move to a, a movement of trust and, and living into it.
1: Yeah, I, I jump in and say, I think the point about falling in love is important. Mm-hmm. I think we can't separate or we shouldn't separate this issue of faith and doubt from a deep personal and abiding relationship with Jesus. And how that fits together is the whole journey. Um And it might look pretty scary. I mean, it may be that that conviction-driven, that certainty, perhaps as a student where we've had a certainty, it seems so easy. I think we move from conviction to choice. We have to make some choices about, does he exist? What is God like? And is he available um, and the thing that I found you know, helpful is that um, it's better to work with the little you've got than to worry about what you haven't got. And I think experience shows that when you allow people to act on the little that they do believe, the rest will follow. And the way I put this is, the path of reciprocity, let me put that down as an option, the path of reciprocity. And basically what that is, if I pray with sincerity, Lord, if you move, if you act, if you show up in some way, I will respond equally. So, you know if you act in my life if you say something if you appear in some way i will do something with that um because i think that's honest i think that's being it's it's being um open and what that means is we have to look and keep open to the possibility that god might show up and you go oh that's something i didn't expect or a word from somebody or something happens in my her life, and you go, Oh, that feels like God. And you can you can feel this whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, he turns up in people and you go, Oh, ouch, well what was that? And I think the way we are you know, honest about it is that we then say, I'll react, I'll stop, I'll pray. I'll reflect on what has happened. I'll be grateful for what's happened. I'll just be aware of it. And slowly you find that God shows up. If you ask him, he will come up to you in a way.
0: Yeah, I like what you're saying, James, about working with what you have and not what you don't. And I feel confident that just even just praying, the way you can pray, which may be only like, um, you know, in the ninth chapter of Mark, we have a wonderful story about a man who approaches Jesus asking for healing for his child. And um Jesus says, well, if you believe. And the man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love that. Yeah. I think all of us at times are caught just there, and it's perfectly fine if the only way we can pray is to say, help my unbelief. That's right. And then wait to see how God does. Yeah.
2: I have a question for us. It comes to us from Kenneth, and he begins by referencing Philippians four twelve through 13, uh, Paul's verse about how he learned the valuable secret of be content in any situation. And Kenneth says, I lack contentment big time. I've looked for discussions on how to learn contentment, but not found any that are not simplistic. Would you please speak to how one could learn contentment? and just some other background information he gave is that he was a victim of medical malpractice um, and then later in his life felt called to uh, teach the word and then went to get multiple degrees uh, up to a PhD, Uh, did some adjuncting, but never a full-time position. And then he goes on to say, "'It's hard to be content after all of that "'and God's silence on the subject. "'Anyway, I'm praying to learn contentment, "'but I don't know how.'"
0: Wow. Wow. All right, guys. I would say one of the first steps he's doing really well, which is honesty. I'm I'm amazed at the honesty of this question. Actually, of a number of questions we've gotten, people people are pouring out their hearts and I do think that's important. I'm hoping that it was helpful to Kenneth just to write out that question and send it and to admit that this is something he's struggling with. I don't think he's alone. I think there are a lot lot of folks struggling with contentment, maybe not in dramatic ways, like what Kenneth talks about, the medical malpractice and the difficulty in what he thought was pursuing a career and a calling. But, wow, things just don't go the way we're expecting them to do they and it's for for my personal experience a lot of my learning contentment has had to do with letting go of some expectations and that is not easy
1: yeah i think i'd go with that very much we all want to grow don't we but but we don't want to go through the pain that can cause it Um, and um, we want to get there without having to struggle. And I can see there's a struggle going on here, and I identify with the issue. This is a pastoral issue in many ways, and it would be so much better if we could talk to you individually. And things like this, disappointment with God is often best handled in an individual position. But we do need to get to the root of the pain here, I think. And one of the difficulties, a bit like the previous thing we discussed, we can't let God have to face the pain we have, the disappointment with God. And so I would start by saying, follow the pain that this has brought. And as much as you can, and it won't happen in a single incident, but slowly over time, where is that pain taking us? And things like don't be afraid of the dark is something I think we can offer. Don't be afraid of the dark. The answer is somewhere in there. Even though it's a scary place to be, the word from God will come through that and the light, like you know, striking a match, will come as we look there. You know... Forgiveness is often bound up in disappointment. Mm -hmm. We're disappointed with God, we're disappointed with the surgeon, we're disappointed with the school that we wanted to go to, we're disappointed by the fact we didn't get the invitation to preach or to lead or whatever. But forgiveness is letting go of trying to control the past,
0: Say it again, James.
1: Well, to forgive is to let go of trying to control the past. Hmm. And of course it's not it's not us controlling the past, the past is controlling us. Um They're not thinking about us all the time, but we're thinking about them Mm -hmm. all the time. So so who's in control? Who's free? In this, and as Paul says, Galatians, you know, it is for freedom that we have been set free. So we want to experience that disappointment with God. That the thing to hold on to is He's not disappointed with us. That's right. He's not disappointed with us. We can embrace Him. He can embrace us, and we can listen for the word of the Lord in this. So it's a pastoral issue, but those are just some general observations.
2: I really like that line: forgiveness, letting go of trying to control the past. Mm-hmm. And and some of what I'm I think I'm picking up in this is is a really common thing of having to forgive God, right? For not. You know, showing up in the way that we thought he was going to, or should, or told us he was going to, and and that's a that's a rough battle. I really like that Kenneth showed up. Right, he got this work that he should teach, and then and then he put in the hard work. He showed Fine. up and went through all the degrees. I mean, that's that's amazing, and you know, well done in that sense. Um, the crux becomes um, it didn't work out as you had thought it would work out. That doesn't mean. That you miss the leading, and that doesn't mean that God has not been using and will continue to use uh, those experiences and what you learned. And it is really difficult that it's not what you thought it would be or, or wanted it to be. Uh, but that doesn't mean that God's not. It doesn't mean that God's going to waste that.
1: Right. Right?
2: right. That's been that's been messing with me uh, in in recent weeks. God doesn't doesn't waste anything. Um, maybe doesn't use it in the way I want him to, For or sure. I think he should do it. Um, but I, I, I think he's in intent on not wasting things. Right. But back to the um, kind of original part of the question about contentment, I'd love to hear your guys' thought on that because it's something I genuinely struggle with. And just uh, the other day, my son had said to me uh, some blanket comment about everybody in society's brainwashed into (laughs) running from either distraction to distraction or escape to escape. And, you know, what's the point of all this? And he asked it, and I just, it was a wonderful question for me to sit and ponder. Uh, So Paul's uh, uh, valuable secret has taunted me all these years about how to be content.
0: Yeah, we have this this wonderful list. Um, it's funny that that um, Kenneth referenced the fourth chapter of Philippians because verse thirteen there is one that gets pulled out of context all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Kenneth got it in context. Right? <laughs> he references verse twelve that Paul says he's learned to be content in whatever state, and then it's he understands that it's Christ who strengthens him to be content. But I think that the question of what are some steps to take toward contentment, that's a good one. And I believe this issue is so fraught for so many people that we need some very basic steps. Here's one that is helpful for me. Sometimes it really helps me to have a tangible symbol. And um, so one time I actually just got... A glass jar and some rocks and I started putting rocks in the jar not to signify priorities or any of the common examples you might talk about putting big rocks in and little rocks in and sand no I just started putting rocks in the jar of things that I was struggling with rock after rock after rock after rock and pretty soon I had a pretty good sized pile Rocks, and I realized that that was a heavy, heavy thing for me to be carrying around. But somehow, taking those heavy rocks and putting them on one place, you could put rocks in a bag or put rocks in a pile or whatever, but something heavy I actually took in my hand and set down in another place. Because I needed a tangible way to signify that this is something I was setting down. Eventually, I put a candle on top of those rocks and lit them. As a way of saying, I got nothing here. There's nothing I can do but try to set this down. But I lit the candle to remind me that the presence of God was there on the pile of junk. And that was important for me because that's a physical practice. We are not disembodied souls. We're real people. And we're waiting on God to work right here where we live. And so I needed a physical practice of setting down some of those ways that I had expected God to work, and it hadn't worked out the way I wanted So I would offer that as one little thing to do. And it may be that you need to build a little pile of rocks every morning for a while. But I think God's fine with that. If we started every day with the prayer, God, I am really mad, and I don't know what to do with my anger. I think God would accept that.
2: I think God would delight in that. I mean, because that's a relational question, right? When someone brings us their anger or their right, their their wound with us, whether it's right or wrong. Like that's an invitation for a deeper, a deeper relationship.
0: Yeah, it's like you said about pursuing falling in love, right? We are talking about a deep relationship here, which means it's got to stand up to tough questions, a relationship that has to be able to go there with with all the doubts and all the fears and all the disappointments, with, with the honesty, with the soul-bearing.
1: Yeah, it's a call to going further with God, pressing further in, finding a deeper level. One of the things is we just, you know, it's God we need to be engaging with. It's Him where looking for and sometimes with the disappointments it reveals in us what we're looking for and once we've discovered a bit more about what we're looking for we then go and find that he's the one we're looking for beneath it all he is the answer i've often found that with some of our drives and addictions and our compulsions and all the rest of it, they're just a warped understanding that it's him we're after. And disappointment, it inflames our hunger for God. It inflames our desire, you know, agony to find him. And it's a deepening experience, as unpleasant as it is, and that's why we need other people to, to say, "I get it, I understand it, I don't, you know, judge you for it, um, but let's work on it."
0: Right. This is legitimately hard,
2: and I really wish in Christian culture in America this was talked about more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and and it wasn't. Put on a smile. Jesus loves you. Everything's great. That That's doesn't right. help. This no. doesn't help us.
0: No. I will mention a resource um, a book by Kate Bowler, who is a professor at Duke Divinity School. The title is Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved.
1: Oh, yes.
0: Other <laughs> Lies I've Loved. Yes. Yes, it's good. Yes, I
1: love that book. You know,
0: Kate is a. Um, an an historian of the prosperity gospel and um, then at in her mid-30s she was diagnosed with stage four cancer and she she had to realize that a lot of what's taught by the prosperity gospel even though she knew that wasn't true she had internalized a lot of it as she said you know my life was really shiny (laughs) Um, (laughs) but she what you just said is right we we like to couch things in triumphant terms, and that's that. That's not helpful when things come crashing down. But our misappropriation of what's good, God can handle. And um, in the truth of being honest with Him, God is very much there. Well, I have a, a kind of a different question, guys. Oh, we've been dealing with some heavy stuff here, but um, <laughs> Charlie writes and says, I work with college students who are just beginning to become aware of their internal lives and to engage in the spiritual rhythms. My question is, how do you begin to introduce spiritual practices to people who have little experience? In engaging with their inner lives. So there we go. Let's let's end on a hopeful note. How do we start with people who are just going on this journey deeper? We've already said you might come to some roadblocks (laughs) and God is going to be able to handle it. But how do you get started?
1: Well, a good place to start, I think, if it works in the context, is the book, a spiritual formation workbook, Small group resources for nurturing Christian growth, and the authors are James Brian Smith and Linda Graybeal. Now, this book's been out for ever; no. <laughs> it feels, but it's a fabulous introductory course in what is it to you know, to be into this area? Um, what does it involve? How do you start? Why are we doing it? What's it for? And then the six um, studies on six um, streams, as we say, introducing them. So it's very practical. It's activity-orientated. And each time you go away, you select a practice, um, a spiritual practice, and try it out and see what it's like. And then the next time you come to the others in your little group and you go, how was it for you? And um, I've been in these things for years and years and years and they're still f- fresh and I still get a lot out of it. This has been a core for our work for a long while and it really helps because you learn to practice, not just to hear but to do
2: one of the really helpful things about the spiritual formation workbook is just that it's done together and and in part what's helpful that is that we usually approach these with some well we're back to expectations real mm-hmm. unrealistic expectations on ourself and what we should do and can do and so uh, i too have been a part of those groups for years and it, it's often you know so i didn't do it or i couldn't follow through and 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 then we can say okay begin again you know it's this there's just lots of grace we can offer couple really simple things i'd say is start small Mm -hmm. just 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 start small do start but start small Um, be realistic about what you're getting into and start where you're at and one of the things i like to say to people who are beginning to work with spiritual practices is um ask (laughs) Here's your first spiritual practice. Ask, what would you like me to do? What would you have for me? And then just wait, wait a week, keep asking, see what emerges. And my experience has been, personally and for others, is that an invitation will emerge. A sort of holy curiosity of, ooh, can I? Ooh, that sounds really fun or helpful, the most destructive piece when you're starting out is this, oh, what should I do or what do I have to do? And it comes with a sort of obnoxious pressure that that just is not helpful. So uh, that can come later, at least for now. Uh, Where's the invitation? Where's the holy curiosity?
0: I love that phrase that you just used, Nate, the obnoxious pressure. That's great. I love, (laughs) I, I like personifying pressure. And and yeah, he's obnoxious, so let's kick him out the door. Um, this reminds me once more of what you spoke of, of the invitation to fall in love. That's not obnoxious. That's invitational. That's drawing and hoping in a way that is not pressure-filled at all. One of the things I love about God is that He is eternal. As the scriptures tell us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So the pressure that we feel comes from us, I think. We've got to do something yesterday. (laughs) We want it done now. We want to be complete. And I think instead, God's inviting us on a journey. So I would agree with you about starting small. A couple things that I would suggest. Number one, don't try to just repeat the good girl and good boy Sunday school practices that people might have have come to. So um, Charlie works with college students, he says, in campus ministry. Well, some of these kids might have grown up learning that they had to have daily Bible reading and spend this much time in prayer or share their faith with this many people or whatever, again, with the pressure. I'd say back off from that a little bit, maybe, and... Maybe start with something as simple as first thought in the morning and last thought at night. The ones I like to use personally, my first thought is the Lord's Prayer. Just before I get out of bed, I try to pray the Lord's Prayer, especially the part about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I I need God's will to be done in, in my life from the minute my feet Hit the floor, to be honest, even before my feet hit the floor. And then the last thought, one that's helpful for me, is um, Psalm 23. Just dwelling with those words, that's a real helpful last thought for me. So maybe that's a practice that you could start with, and um, maybe have your, your students try that for a week, just, you know, make a make a pact with one another. In a small group, that they're going to try doing first thought, last thought, and then when they come back together the next time, talk about how that went. Talk about how that went in a very non-judgmental way. Was that helpful or not?
2: Wait, wait a minute. My my first and last thought is is my phone, Rochelle. Come on, we got to bow your obedience to the.
0: Right. Yeah. I,
2: I I love that. It's 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 simple. It's it's concrete. I I th- I really think you get creative with with some of these things. Go take a nap with God, mm-hmm. right? Go mm-hmm. go for a short walk and just be together and not mm-hmm. talk, but just be aware of God's presence with you. Find someone who's who's seems left out or alone and just go talk to him with you and God, right? And you don't need to preach to him, but just see them as God would see them, as a beloved child, and here you get to listen to them. I mean, just keep it real simple.
1: And, I mean, if we're looking for practical things, um, we've mentioned a spiritual formation workbook. There's other ways in, especially for this aged audience. Uh, Life groups is a great thing. Um, L-Y-F-E. Maybe we can put a... A link in the show notes. Um, very practical practices. You know, practice slowing in your her life, trying to slow down. And one of the practices which gets a lot of people interested is in a in a store, join the longest line when you're trying to pay. You know, join the slowest line and see what impact that has with you and then discuss it with you know others. How did you feel about that? What was your attitude towards that? Only cross the street when the green sign comes up rather than trying to dodge th- through as fast as you're able to. No jaywalking. You know, those, are, those, are, those are things you can do, mm-hmm. practices. Um, and then if you want other resources, um, I think they're on the website. Um There are about six streams that a friend of ours here did called Joe Davis, who's done a little introduction to each of the um, streams, very fast, without uh, jargon trying to you know, strip it down, make it as accessible as he possibly can, cartoons even. So there's different entry points, you know, there's the Joe material, which is very entry, the L-Y-F-E stuff, and then the spiritual formation groups. So lots of access, lots of ways you can access this.
0: And it can be fun. It can be, it can be deep. It can be, you can get into really, really difficult times. Um, You can go through heartbreak together, but it can also just be fun. And I think it's a great relief if you can be honest with a few other people in a small group and say, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm, I'm struggling to pray or I'm struggling to do other things that I feel like I ought to be doing. It's good. It's good to admit the truth and to have a few people who are trustworthy so I would um, definitely Charlie I would I would suggest that you organize these kids into small groups who um, just make a pledge to be to be safe people for one another
2: okay um, I wrote a book that I actually think is quite helpful with this. Uh, That's right. Making of an ordinary, yes. Uh, yes. Called the making of an ordinary saint. My journey from frustration to joy with the spiritual disciplines, and it actually is a good entry point to the to spiritual practices. I th-
0: I think so too. Thank you.
2: I
1: think it's good too.
0: And I noticed that you did not use the humble mumble there, Nate. Well done. <laughs> that is a good book, <laughs> Charlie. We commend it to you and your students.
2: Thank you for joining us in another episode of Friends in Formation. We do so appreciate your questions. And if we use one of yours on air, as a small thank you, we'll send you one of our very special Friends in Formation coffee mugs. You can email a question to friends at renovare.org. That's friends at R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E dot We do encourage you to check out our website, renovare.org, And there you'll find show notes to this episode, as well as the regular Renovare podcast.